Good morning, church. It's so good to gather and to sit, and we've already sung truth, we've prayed truth, we've sat under truth, and so, like, there should be a joy that's already beginning to to well up in our hearts. Um, for some of you, that joy is going to be because we're talking about fishing, and I know uh, asking Asher to read was on purpose. Like, he loves fishing, and so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we worship our God and King. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Joel Fair, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here. And uh, I'm thankful, overwhelmed often for that privilege. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, the Lord's Prayer, and we were in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're looking at a sermon from a boat. So Jesus taught and preached wherever he was, whether that was uh, in the plains or on boats or in synagogues. And so we get to see that. Um, and, and his message is this message of the kingdom of God. Now, today we don't dive into the message. It's more of the method that he uses to, to show that he is the one who alone can bring, is ushering in this kingdom. But we do get to see that he taught. He continues to teach. And so we want to sit under his teaching today. Just as he taught us how to pray these last couple of weeks, he's teaching us today what it means to be rescued and saved and then to be called into mission with him. This week, we're going to shift uh, the focus and look um, at Jesus and the way that he taught, not necessarily what he taught. The great thing is that Jesus continues to remain central in our focus. We never want to have anything outside of that. The whole reason that we would gather is so that we could proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, lift him high, and remember together, and then call others to remember with us. That's our goal this morning. We're at Luke chapter 5. I'd ask you to keep it open because we're going to go back and forth to it. Um, as Jesus is calling men to become fishers of men. Again, if you like to fish, this is a good sermon for you. If you don't like to fish, well... You're wrong, and that's okay. Fishing's great, but but press in, like dig in a little bit. Even if it doesn't necessarily meet all the things that you would hope for, we get to sit under God's word together to hear what he's thinking, to, to hear that he's preaching the ushering in of this kingdom. We want to see Jesus, the king and ruler over both fish and men. So in our text this morning, we're going to see Jesus, the divine son of God, fill the disciples' nets with fish, forgive their sins and call them to leave those same nets because his mission is better than anything they can imagine. I'm going to repeat that. I want you to hear it. We're going to see Jesus, the divine son of God, the one who's sovereign over all things, fill the disciples' nets with fish, forgive their sins, and call them to leave those same nets because his mission is better than anything they can imagine. To hear that, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. So we pray with me as we ask him. God, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that it's sufficient, and yet you've also called us to preach your word, to teach your word, to hear your word. And so, Lord, we pray that today we would sit under your word with humble hearts, longing to see you and to know you. I thank you that you see our obedience, even in gathering. God, and you honor that, even as you honor the disciples and their obedience in the story. So, Lord, we pray with confidence, knowing that you're faithful. Lord, we pray that your word would be proclaimed both here and throughout your churches. Lord, we pray for uh, Merritt Island 
First Baptist Church, Merritt Island today, Lord, for Titus Green and Lord, those that would gather there, that they would hear and see you. God, we thank you that we're just one congregation of many congregations that would gather throughout Brevard to worship you, to lift you high. Lord, so that you would draw all men unto yourself. Lord, we thank you that we do that even beyond Brevard. Lord, I thank you for Bill Dumphy and Grace Point and Williamsburg. Lord, I pray that you would be with them as they uh, gather together to worship you today, Lord. May they be filled with joy. May they be filled with uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even as we are here today, Lord. Would you do all of these things for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we said, um, we're looking at Jesus portrayed in the Gospel of Luke. And this morning, we're remembering in particular how he called the disciples. It's, now, it's a, a continuous call that he would continue to call them into deeper trust and faith. Remember how we've been looking at this, um, the Lord's Prayer? And, and the beauty of the Lord's Prayer was not that you and I would get the things we're asking for, but that we would depend more and more on Christ. And so this morning, we're seeing that Jesus is calling the disciples, and it's one of the the first calls to several of them, where they would hear him, and they would actually respond to what he's saying. But that that doesn't end. That's not like they get in through faith, and then they're done. No, it's a continuous growing independence and faith in Jesus as they walk with him over what we know as uh, several more years. And so Jesus is calling these disciples These same disciples that he's going to teach the Lord's Prayer, he is calling them so that he can build his church upon them. The church that's dedicated to his glory. The beauty is that these disciples that he's calling are disciples just like us. Disciples that have uh, normal jobs, that do live normal everyday life that get joys out of little things like catching fish or whatever it is that brings you a little bit of joy. These disciples, can, I want us to be able to, to, to relate to them today, especially Peter, which is so great. Peter's the best because he, he just stumbles over himself. And when I stumble over myself, I'm like, man, thank God for Peter because God saved him. God changed him. God used him in mighty ways, and he continues to do that with us today. The passage begins with Jesus teaching to a large crowd. Look at uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, on one occasion... Which I think means one of many occasions. I don't think this is like just the one time that... I don't think Luke's trying to isolate it to this one time. He's just saying this is one of many. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This is what Jesus does. When he begins his ministry, he walks throughout uh, around the Sea of Galilee. And so the Sea of Galilee is a, is a larger sea that you can actually uh, view on a map. If you have a map of Israel, you can see that uh, it's a larger sea. But all along, and one of the towns that's on this sea is called Gennesaret. And so that's why he's referring to this lake as the one that's by Gennesaret. But this is where Jesus did the majority of his teaching in Capernaum and in this area. And so Jesus, what he does whenever he has a crowd is he teaches. It's what he's been doing for the first couple chapters of Luke. If you haven't read it recently, that's what he's doing. And in each of the first stories, Jesus is teaching. And it seems that he's always teaching. 
Every time Luke puts Jesus into the story, Jesus is teaching and preaching, or he's healing and then teaching. He teaches wherever he is, whether it's in a boat, a house, or a synagogue. He teaches to whoever is there, whether it's the disciples or crowds of people. He teaches to the religious, to the demon-possessed. He teaches to the sick and to the poor. We see that no matter where Jesus is or who he is with, he takes time to teach and preach the gospel. You see it in verse 1. It says, pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Jesus is, is teaching, and it's not, it's not anything new. He is expounding on the truth that he knows, the truth that, the, that many of these people have already heard before, but he is bringing it to them with power in ways that they've never heard it taught before. So many of the responses are, teacher, we've never heard anyone teach like you. And it's because he's not just a teacher. He's the son of God. We have the fullness of the story. We get to see that God humbled himself, incarnated himself in human form in the person of Jesus. This is the son of God teaching and preaching the word of God. At the end of verse 3, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This teaching is what Jesus does. The key is not that that he is teaching, but what he is teaching. We see in verse uh, 21 of chapter 4, if you turn back a little bit, starting, I'm going to start in 17. It says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He's in the synagogue teaching. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's powerful. Like, not just the scripture that he reads, which in and of itself is amazing. You, you start hearing that and you're like, man, liberation, like that kind of freedom that, that God can bring. And then Jesus says, and I am the one that's bringing it. Today it's fulfilled because I'm here. Now, for some people, that made him really angry. But for some people who would, who would be able to humble themselves and hear the word of God, man, they responded with such excitement and zeal that this is, it's actually happening. What God has promised is being fulfilled. The liberty to the captives and the sight to the blind. The year of the favor of the Lord. It's happening now, fulfilled in Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. He declared that he was the fulfillment of Scripture. He proclaimed that he was the Savior that has come to give liberty to the captives and sight to the blind. He's anointed one who proclaims the good news. That's what Messiah means. Or sometimes it's translated Christ, the anointed one. The one that all of Scripture has pointed to that would come and do what God has promised. These bold words. He's teaching these things to establish his authority as the Son of God. Jesus understands his identity as the Messiah and that he's been sent for a purpose. And so he teaches and proclaims the good news at all times and in all places. So let's pick back up verse, verse 4 of chapter 5. I think, it's, I think it's also pretty awesome that 
Jesus understands like acoustics. And if he pushes out in the boat, more people will be able to hear him because it bounces off the water. Like all of this is in here. Jesus is, is not just, uh, he, he's, he's wise and he knows how to reach the most people with the good news. And so he pushes out in the boat and said, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Seems like it's an easy task that Jesus is asking them. They're fishermen. This is what they're supposed to do. Just keep fishing. And yet, uh, we kind of get the idea of they're done fishing. They're done fishing and they haven't caught anything all night. Simon, James, and John, and the other disciples that were with him had been fishing all day, all evening, and they were done fishing and had begun cleaning their nets. As a fisherman, it takes a lot to call it a day. All right? You always think just one more cast, just one more lure. If I just change the bait one more time, or actually the tide's going out, and I know that when that tide shifts, it's actually going to be better. So it takes a lot to call it a day, but they've already called it a day. They've already said that they were done for the day. And at the end of the day, cleanup is always a mess. Once you've begun to clean up, you just want to be done. You smell like your bait, and unless you were fishing with peanut butter, like balls of bread, bait stinks. And so you stink, and you just want to be done. On a good day fishing, you clean up with a smile, thinking about, man, that was awesome. Remembering, even probably talking to a buddy who's also cleaning up. And did you see that one? Or maybe you still have the fish and you're going to eat it and you're excited about that. But on a bad day of fishing, cleanup's a real bummer. It's a drudgery you have to press through. And that's where we find the disciples. They didn't catch anything. Fished all night. They hadn't caught anything all night long and they aren't just casting a lure, right? They fish differently than you and I do. Their fishing is back-breaking work throwing these nets out and hauling these nets in and over and over. And not only that, but they're not fishing for recreation. They're fishing because their lives depend on it. The lives of their family depend on it. There's so much that goes into this. And so they're tired and they're dejected, having caught nothing. They're cranky and upset. And what does Jesus call them to do? Go out again. Try one more time. Now, in the fisherman's handbook, it's not okay to tell a fisherman how to fish. It's, it's not okay. You, you don't get to tell someone else how they get to fish. Now, if you, if they, uh, if I ask somebody, maybe Shane, what he's using, then that's okay. He can tell me now what he's using, but he doesn't, he doesn't come and tell me, Hey, you're not catching anything. You should do this because I have my pride and he has his pride. Now, it's okay to look over and kind of see what they're fishing with and steal some, some tips, and that's fine. But you don't tell another fisherman how to fish. And here's Jesus, not a fisherman, he's a carpenter, telling these paid fishermen, right? This is their livelihood. This is what they do, how to go about catching these fish. I love Peter's response. Look at Peter's humble, honest response. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. We see like this honest response. It's, it's an acknowledgement of the circumstances that he's in. 
So often I think as Christians, we think that we can't acknowledge hard circumstances, but the reality is that we are called to be both, uh, to see life clearly, but even more clearly to see who Jesus is and what he says is true. But Peter holds both of these things in, in this simple acknowledgement. He says, Master, we told all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. I lo- at your word. Peter already recognizes Jesus as a great teacher. He's, he's heard about him. He's seen him. He's experienced his teaching. And so he understands, Master, that, that's a, 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 a reverence that he's giving to Jesus as a teacher. You're a great teacher. You know truth. So he acknowledges that and he says, Master, and, and, and that's how he addresses Jesus. And he says, we toiled all night and took nothing, but I will obey. He understands that Jesus has authority and he responds to that authority in obedience. It's not perfect obedience. It's not like joy-filled obedience at this point, I don't think. You look at the way that, that Peter responds and it's more of a like, uh, okay, I'll do it. Not because I think it's going to work, but because you said so. And so he goes and he responds in, in obedience to the authority of Jesus. And what is the result of his obedience? Nothing more, nothing less than a miracle. Like it's the greatest thing that probably Peter's ever seen in his whole life. These, the, the, the nets are full of fish to the point where they can't even pull them up. The nets are breaking. Everybody's going crazy. They're scrambling to figure out what's going on. I asked Randy, I said, do you think it would be okay if I told a fishing story in the middle of the sermon? She said, does it, does it correlate? And I said, I think so better than any other story I could think of. I'm out fishing at my parents in St. Augustine. And I wasn't catching anything, and so I needed some more bait. So I took the paddleboard, my dad's paddleboard, and I paddled out, and I had my cast net. And I was thinking, man, if I could just get out a little further, maybe I can get some bigger bait, catch some bigger fish. That is true. Bigger bait catches bigger fish. So I go out to catch the bigger bait. And as I go out, I see this huge school of fish, and I'm so excited. And I'm standing on a paddleboard trying to balance, and I have my cast net, and I throw my cast net, and I start pulling it in, thinking maybe I got a couple. And I've got almost the whole school of them, and I'm pulling them up, and I'm trying not to fall out of the boat. Now, I don't know if you had... Read this. It says that when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking and they signaled to their partners and other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. My paddleboard's about to sink. I've got more fish than I know what to do with. And now I'm paddling back into shore with all these fish and my kids are going crazy because I'm screaming and we're all having a good time. That story, as great as it was, and as much as I was affected by it, pales in comparison to this. This miracle of Jesus is a generous gift of God. Now, I think that, that, that any time we would receive whatever the gift is, it's a, it's a miracle of generosity of our God. But the disciples are seeing this, and they're picturing that these fish are going to feed my family. These fish are going to meet the needs that I have. These fish weren't even there, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and he shows up, and he says, listen, just cast one more time, and now we have more fish than we know what to do with, and they're overwhelmed, and they're excited. 
and they're panicking because also the boats are breaking and the nets are breaking that they're hoping will they'll be able to use again to continue to take care of their family. Like there's a reality to this that is just mind-blowing. And I don't think that you and I can understand it from their perspective. Their lives have been changed by this one act of obedience. You see, the purpose of the miracle in Luke 5 is twofold. The purpose of the miracle is first and foremost to show that Jesus is the Son of God. Like only one person can speak and say, listen, there was nothing there and now there's more than you can imagine there. So cast the net and pull them in. It demonstrates the authority and divinity of Christ. But the second reason is equally beautiful because not only is he divine and sovereign and in control, but he's also good. The second reason that he does this miracle is to give the good gift to the disciples. You and I have a generous and kind God. So often we forget about that and we, we labor and try to, to, try to, try to make do in our own lives before we will even go to God and say, God, I know you're generous and good. Will you do this for me? Now he calls us to labor in it. He calls us to participate with him and it's beautiful and it's so good. But God is generous and kind, and I forget that. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Like, that's not the expected response that I had. I would have expected him to be, be cheering and going crazy about this this catch that he's received, but the reality is he, he's overwhelmed by the grace and goodness of God in this moment. He knows that this God is holy, that this Jesus, the man that he's, he's acknowledged as a good teacher, is more than just a good teacher. There's something about him that he can speak to the fish, to the seas. Later on, he's going to speak to the waves and calm the seas. There's a power that Jesus has, an authority that Jesus has that Peter is recognizing, and it causes him to humble himself and bow down at his feet. In recognizing Jesus' divinity, Peter can't help but recognize his sinfulness. You see, this miracle of Jesus actually leads him to repentance. That's awesome. It's the kindness of God that would lead Peter to repentance. God showering him with, lavishing him with grace and goodness and good gifts leads Peter to repentance and crying out in worship to God. A true encounter with Jesus points to our sinfulness in light of his holiness. Can we pause here for a moment? I think so often we think that the response of repentance is uh, because we've been called out in our sin or some that maybe there's a pastor or a preacher that's preaching uh, truth, fire and brimstone, like the reality of God's wrath against sin. And yes, that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. And that calls us to repentance. But do you also see that the goodness of God, that the grace of God, that as he pours out his abundant blessings should also lead us to repentance. God, you're good. And in light of that, I recognize that I'm not. God, would you change me? Would you make me like you? 
There's a, there's a fear and an awe that we should have in the presence of God. Even in his goodness, we should be in awe and say, God, I, I don't know if I'm even supposed to be in this boat with you. Well, you just, we, you, one of us has got to go. Because <laughs> otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen in, in response to your holiness and my sinfulness. And so there's this fear that Peter has. A fear that is expressed in humble repentance. You see, he sees the miracle. He recognizes the power of the one who performs it. And he attempts to hide and cower, even asking Jesus to go away. And isn't this what we do? Often when we're exposed to the beauty and awe and majesty of God, we, we kind of want to hide because we know our sin and our shame. We pretend and perform, hoping that if we maintain the facade long enough... Whoever it is who's making us uncomfortable in our sin will just go away. But Peter also offers us a right response. It's his acknowledgement of his sin which points to his need for a Savior. The goodness of God that would call us to a place of repentance acknowledges our need for a Savior. So often, though, I will go days, weeks without recognizing I need a Savior. But when I see the goodness and kindness of God, it says, man, I need someone who would make me right with God. I need someone who would save me. And here's Jesus, who is the promised Savior and fulfillment of Scripture, right in front of him. Right in front of him. And so he's filled with awe and with fear. Verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. That's, that's what's driving his, his declaration, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And this isn't just Peter. This is all of Scripture. You think about Job when he, he recognizes that, that he's been conversing with a holy God. He says, oh man, I've got to stop talking. You're holy and I'm not. Isaiah in Isaiah 6, when he's, he sees God in his holiness with the cherubim and the seraphim, he says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Like that, the understanding of who God is stirs repentance in the people of God. And it's doing this in Simon, Simon Peter. And Jesus said to Simon in verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid. How can Peter, in his sinfulness, rightfully acknowledge sinfulness, sit in a boat in close proximity to the Holy Son of God? How can he do that? He can do that because Jesus knows that Peter has been bought and paid for. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross to redeem and reconcile Peter. That Peter's sins are paid for by his blood. You see, we, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but each of us have a debt. We have several debts. We have a debt of righteousness that we owe to God in obedience. And we can't pay it. We have a debt of death that because we can't pay that first debt has actually been given to us too. We, we are sinners, and therefore, as sinners, we deserve death. And Jesus pays both debts for us at the cross. He pays the debt that you and I could not pay of 
of living a righteousness because he's lived it for us. And when he atones for our sins, there's this great exchange where he takes our sin and our shame and the, the, the death that you and I are indebted to, he pays it by dying on the cross, but he also gives us his righteousness. That's crazy. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. It, it stir, it's like it's the greatest gift that you and I can receive. It's better than anything that we could have. It's better than a net full of fish, even when our livelihoods depend on that net full of fish. This is what you and I have in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus can say with confidence, do not be afraid. Jesus tells him that those with him and those with him not to be afraid. As the one who had come to earth to be the atonement for the sins of God's people, Jesus knew that Peter's sins had been washed away. In John 17, verse 24, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see, Peter is in Christ. He doesn't know it yet. He's, he's beginning to understand that. He's beginning, and, and we see it actually in the way that he talks, because at first he says, Master. He's acknowledging him as a good teacher, but after he sees that he's the Son of God, how does he respond to him? Look in verse 8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. <laughs> There's something that's triggered in Peter. There's something that's happened in seeing the power and majesty of Jesus, where he has moved from sitting under good teaching to resting in God. Now, that's going to be played out even more throughout his life. This is the first time that Peter's going to come and, and, and kind of say some things, really outlandish things. We, we see it throughout, and I'm thankful for it because it just gives us hope that we can, we, we're going to grow in our knowledge of who God is. Even as Peter has seen Jesus work miracles, he's going to grow in the understanding of who Christ is as the Son of God, that he has the power, and he's going to see it in, in the resurrection. And his life is going to be completely changed, because not only if you and I are in Christ has our debt been paid, but we have been raised with Christ. We died with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ. So the life that he lives, he's now living in you and me. That's what he's calling us to, and we see that here at the end of this chapter. After calming their fears, Jesus then gives them a new purpose. He tells them, from now on, you will be catching men. So it's probably pretty confusing, maybe humorous to them. I know as I read it, I'm like, man, I, don't, I couldn't imagine trying to understand being a fisher of men. Some of the thoughts that they might have had at that point. I've always wanted to hunt big game. I'm going to need a bigger net. Like there's, there's some thoughts maybe that they're having, but Jesus goes and he calls them. And what we see is no matter what they're thinking, there is an obedience that takes place because we continue to read. Verse 10, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid from now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You see, Jesus is calling them to become disciples. He satisfied both their tangible needs and their greater need for forgiveness, for purpose, for identity. And he's also demanded permanent and irrevocable change. 
When we would say, Lord, we're acknowledging that he's not just a good teacher. These aren't just good ideas, but he's actually in control. I'm, I'm actually submitting to him with all of my life. He demands permanent and irrevocable change. His words from now on do not give us the option of going back. This is an eternal redirection. It's an eternal turning from whatever it is that we have sought to give us joy, to give us um, gratification. We're going to turn away from those things because we've seen Jesus who's better than it all. It's not for the next 45 minutes or two hours. It's not even for today, a Sunday, where we can just do it for Sundays. It's more than just when we're together at celebration, service, or in community group. You see, Jesus is demanding your whole life, but the promise is that you will be with Jesus. We looked at that last week, and we're going to continue to drive that home. Like, if we ever get done saying that, we're probably wrong. We probably moved on to something that we shouldn't have moved on to. The reality is that the greatest gift that you and I can have is Jesus himself. Luke chapter 9, later on, Luke writes this as Jesus is speaking, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they have seen the kingdom of God. See, like the disciples, you and I are invited to come to Jesus. That invitation, though, is also to come and die, and in so doing, become participants in declaring the glory of God. If we know Jesus, we should be different. We should look different. We should act different. Our lives, our words, our time should be spent glorifying Him and proclaiming His gospel. You see, that that's the beauty, is that as we see the goodness of God that would actually create repentance in us, then now we're driven by desire, by joy, rather than by duty and demand. And so we we willingly leave leave everything and follow Him. I love the hymn by Fanny Crosby. It says, Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. The refrain goes, oh, the height and depth of mercy, oh, the length and breadth of love, oh, the fullness of redemption, pledge of endless life above. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let me view his constant smile. Then throughout my pilgrim journey, light will cheer me all the while. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust shall be to with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. We get Jesus. We long for the the promised return of Jesus. He's going to come, a a, a second coming. He's going to come in in all of his glory. And we're going to be blown away. Like it's going to be greater than any, any fishing experience you've ever had. The beauty of seeing the face of Jesus. But we don't even have to wait till then to have him now. We, we have Jesus. We have the Spirit of Christ in us today. His Holy Spirit in, inside of us, empowering us and changing our hearts so that we long to follow him. And so the call today is to be fishers of men. That wasn't just a, a 12 
man crew. That is, everyone who would follow Jesus were going with the same mission of making him known. And that's, that's teaching what he's done and who he is. That's sharing life together with people. And when they see things that we would respond differently than they would, we get to point to Jesus, the one who's making those changes in us. We get to go and proclaim his goodness and his grace. This morning, the invitation is to participate and to contribute to the mission of God. And I pray that we will respond to that today. I pray that it would not just be moments, but it would be we would leave everything else, leave it all behind, and we'd chase after him, we'd pursue him, we'd follow him. The beauty is that as we, as we do that and we look around, we see others that are following him and we're encouraged and we go together. But even if you're the only one that would go, it's worth it. It's worth it to give up everything and to pursue Christ. And I pray that God would make that real in our hearts today, that we, like Peter and James and John, will leave everything and follow Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you perform miracles to show that you were truly the Son of God. You you truly are the Messiah, the promised one, the one that we would put all of our hope in. Hope for individual uh, salvation and um, reconciliation to a holy God, but also a hope that one day all things would be made new. That your kingdom is come has come, is being worked out in our lives, but one day it will be fully consummated, Lord. And so we we put our hope in you. We trust in you, Lord. And we pray that even today you would stir our desires, that we would long for you, that really you would be enough for us, that the call to leave everything and follow Jesus would not be one that we would have to, to think about and weigh the options, but we would say, he's worthy, He's worthy of everything, and I want him more than anything else. Lord, show us places in our lives where we're holding on to things. May we leave them behind and follow you. God, I pray that today you would stir again the joy of our salvation, that we would rejoice in the grace that we, like Peter, have received, that we would acknowledge our sinfulness, but more than that, Lord, that we would acknowledge your holiness and your beauty and say, I want to follow you. Thank you for atoning for sin. Thank you for giving me your righteousness. Thank you for putting a new heart in place of this dead old one, Lord. Stir our hearts and our affections for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.